Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. So, um, last time I got to speak on a Wednesday night um, was back in January, so if you want, you can look on the church website and check that message out. Um, but during that message, we took uh, a look at the life of the Apostle Peter, a man whose experiences we can very much relate to and that we can use to apply in our walk with the Lord today. Peter was stubborn, quick to speak, quick to act, and the first one to make bold promises. But as we all know, when it came down to it, Peter crumbled due to the pressure and fear of his circumstances. When Christ was set to be put to death, and Peter was asked by the townspeople whether he was a follower of Jesus or not, he denied him three times, as was foretold by our Lord. Peter, after that, was hopeless, lost his best friend. He, he let his best friend down to himself. And, but Peter's story didn't end there. Through the experiences with Peter, we saw how our loving Lord is and how faithful he is to forgive us how faithful he is to restore us. And in spite of Peter's shortcomings, in spite of mine and your shortcomings, the Lord is also looking to restore us and bring us into a closer relationship with him. We can be encouraged by this, the promise found in 2 Timothy 2.13, that even if we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. The Lord restored Peter, and today we get to see the goodness and love of our God through Peter's experiences. We took a look at how real love involves sacrifice and is shown through action, and how God showed His love to Peter to us and through His Son, Jesus Christ. We saw how Jesus overcomes fear, how He forgives the unfaithful, how He patiently teaches us, and how He uses unlikely heroes, and that Jesus sees us as He intends us to be, not as we often see ourselves. So Peter went on to be a true warrior for the gospel, a new creature in Christ, bold in sharing the gospel and empowered by the Holy Spirit. So tonight, if you want to open up your Bibles, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1. But before we hop in there, I just want to give a quick overview of the uh, book of 1 Peter. So 1 Peter is addressed to the exiles and strangers of this earth who were facing persecution under the Roman Empire due to their faith in Christ. It is believed that after our brother brother Stephen, the martyr, um, was killed, as seen in Acts 8, was martyred, uh, this caused Jewish and Gentile believers to disperse to other nations, so to run off to other nations uh, to escape any further persecution. Among all the books in the New Testament, 1 Peter is the one that is most focused upon suffering. Suffering is everywhere throughout the New Testament, though. The Bible is is simply not an unrealistic book, and this book is predominantly about suffering, and we see that. One Peter addresses how we are going to live under suffering and through suffering, referencing the hostilities our brothers and sisters faced from the culture of the past, just like they do today. When I think of this, I think of the six coordinated uh, suicide bombings in Sri Lanka recently on Resurrection Sunday. Brothers and sisters who have been beheaded uh, over in the Middle East and, and uh, other areas of the world. 
those jailed and to- tortured um, for their faith in communist countries. And uh, also found out there were, there were 40 other Christian believers within the area of Nigeria that were also murdered for their faith prior to Resurrection Sunday. So when we slow down and think about these things, a large part of our purpose as exiles on this earth becomes evident. 1 Peter 4.12 states, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing has happened to you. So whether it's at work, whether it's at school, whether it's within your home, when you mingle with your family or out in public, when you're trying to share the love of Christ with people, you will be persecuted. You will be met with hostility. And uh, that's because we live in a broken world. But people still need to hear that message of Jesus Christ, that hope only found in Christ Jesus. So I believe that the Lord is going to share with us through First Peter that regardless of the trials we face or our current circumstances, He is in control. He's looking to refine us to restore us and to ultimately bring us closer to Him. And because He is risen, we serve a living Savior today, one that we can always put our hope and trust in. All right, so hopping into First Peter. Okay. All right, follow along with me. Verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. I'm going to stop right there. I want to take a look at this uh, word pilgrim. You know, when I thought of you know pilgrims growing up, you know, we used to around Thanksgiving time, you know, cut out some black construction paper, you know, formulate a little black and white outfit. That was a pilgrim to me, right? You know, just represented Thanksgiving. But in this sense, uh, Peter is speaking of somebody who is passing through somewhere to another destination, that destination being their home. So the pilgrims that he's writing to are believers just like you and I, and like most of us, if not all of us here tonight, their home and their permanency was in heaven with Christ. Whereas Apostle Paul writes to the church of Philippi in Philippians 3.20-21, through 21, states, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to His glorious body, according to the working by which He is able, even to subdue all things to Himself. So, our citizenship is in heaven. I don't care if you were born in Anchorage, Alaska. I don't care if your passport says something totally different. You are citizens of this earth, but ultimately your permanency resides in heaven with our Lord. And I think what the Lord wants to show us tonight is that we are on a pilgrimage. We are just passing through this earth for a short amount of time, and then we're going to get to spend eternity with Him in heaven. Amen? Cool. And Jesus declared in John seventeen sixteen that you are in this world, but you are not of this world. If you belong to me, you are simply just passing through. So these travelers... They didn't pack heavy. They typically traveled lightly. And why? Why do we think? Because they didn't plan on staying too long. They didn't plan on setting up shop. They didn't try to hold on to everything because it just prevented them from moving forward towards the destination of where they wanted to be. In our case, where the Lord wants us to be. Which I want to be where the Lord wants me to be. 
So, and I'll be the first to say that I've been guilty of this. Many of us are holding on too tightly to the things of this world, the things that are preventing us from embracing the things that God has in store for us here and in eternity. So we need to loosen our grip a bit, right? Peter is writing to the pilgrims of the dispersion. Greek translation is diaspora, diaspora, however you want to say it. And it is typically, it was typically applied to Jews who were being dispersed out of uh, Jerusalem, who fled out of Jerusalem. But here he applies it to the Jewish and Gentile believers that are being dispersed due to uh, imminent Roman persecution. So these believers were dispersed to five regions, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, which if you look on look onto a map today, uh, that would pretty much make up um, Turkey, modern-day Turkey, right? So northern Asia Minor. So if you could picture that in your mind. So Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of this dispersion. He wants to remind them of our status, and tonight I want to remind you of your status, that you are citizens of heaven, not of this earth. So in verse 2, speaking to the pilgrims. So the elect, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. So you're elect. God chose you before the foundation of the world. This wasn't like me picking my basketball team, right? You know, got Coach, got Andy, you know, Tobin, we're going to formulate a winning team. You know, no. He chose you to demonstrate his love and his grace apart from any work that you and I could ever do. And all that takes is us putting faith in Jesus Christ. And sanctified by the Spirit of God. Sanctified meaning set apart. If you're a believer here tonight, you're being sanctified. The Lord is setting you apart for his glory, for his works. And you're being set apart by the work of the Holy Spirit in you. And of that work, for obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. So God is setting you apart for obedience so that you would further yield your life to Him. And in doing that, the blood of Christ will be effective in cleansing you from all your sins, past, present, and future, if you simply put your faith in Jesus Christ. So Peter's reminding them of who they are and is serving uh, as a reminder tonight of who we are in Christ. So people are writing, uh, Peter is writing to people who are suffering. Why is he writing to them? What is the purpose of this letter? We begin to see this in verse 3. And I encourage you, if you're taking notes, you know, take, take notes on this tonight. So the purpose of this letter is to uh, encourage these believers that there's a living hope that is found in Christ Jesus. So verse 3, follow along with me. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So salvation in Christ produces hope. This is a hope that is life-transforming, one that I've definitely seen in my own life, that I've seen in my friend's life, that I've seen in the lives of some of you here. And uh, that's awesome and completely undeniable. And uh, so on Friday, you know, what we refer to as Good Friday, Peter was in despair, he was distressed, he was afraid, and he was hopeless. 
But Sunday after the resurrection, Peter was a transformed man. And as the Spirit of God poured out upon Peter, that transformation again unfolded. So regardless of your circumstances tonight, brothers and sisters, you can have a living hope. Because Jesus lives, and because he lives, you can have hope regardless of your current circumstances. So this is what Peter is trying to communicate to these pilgrims who are clearly dealing with rough circumstances and imminent persecution. So in first, or excuse me, in Colossians 1.27, Paul writes, To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. This glory that is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So your salvation is guaranteed. It's a guaranteed inheritance. And that is why we have this living hope. So look with me at verses 4 to 5. So, living hope through resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Verse 4, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So this inheritance, this hope of salvation, doesn't perish. It's pleasing to God. It's incorruptible. simply does not fade away. And it is kept by God. In the Greek, it shows that it's not just kept, but it is constantly kept by God. Only He can do that by His power. So He preserves this inheritance. He preserves our salvation on His end. On our end, we're told in verse 5 that we receive this inheritance by faith. Alright, so on our, our end, it's by faith. And on God's end, it's His power that keeps it. Thank you, Lord, for that. So because it is kept by God in His great power, there is nothing that can take it away. And in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, 24-25, the Apostle Paul encourages us, stating, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, and thus I fight, not as though swinging and beating at the air. So those who are seeking to live for God are investing inheritance. They cannot lose that inheritance. It is sure and it is kept by the power of God. So let's take a look at some alternatives that people tend to put their hope in in this life. I'm a big college basketball fan. I'm a big Duke fan. Majority of people thought that Duke was going to win the national title. This is, you know, minor to what we're talking about, but I'm just going to share it for the sake of the message. So Duke fans around the country put their faith in this team, but unlike the NBA, you get one game. If you lose, you are done. Right? So Duke ended up losing in the Elite Eight by one to a really good Michigan State team, which led to the University of Virginia led by a solid Christian coach, Tony Bennett. They ended up winning the national title, and he gave glory to the Lord where it should go. So I love that. If you're a big football fan, or you know someone who's a big football fan, they put a lot of hope in their teams. One week, you get a win, and it's like, oh, yeah, I can't wait to go to work. I'm going to tell my boys. I'm going to talk some trash, right? The next weekend, they lose, and it's, oh, woe is me. I'm going to go fall on my sword somewhere. 
and uh, I think I'm just going to call, call out sick tomorrow, right? I don't want to see anybody. So silly things we put our hope in, right? But we're not like that, right? We're above that. I can personally attest to being hopeful and things and then crumbling, right? But not when I put my hope in Jesus. So how about putting your hope in our government leaders, right? Our last president ran on a campaign of hope and change. The current one runs on a campaign of making America great again. But at the end of the day, we know as believers that we cannot put our hope fully in these leaders, right? They're not going to satisfy. They're not going to fulfill the, the void that all these people have. Only Christ can do that. How about in the economy? In 2008, people were rejoicing, right, how well the economy was, was going and how it was going, how they expected it to go. And our country then experiment, uh, experienced just in a few days what we now know as the Great Recession, 2008. Stock market lost over 50% of its value, and people were in despair, right? Just like that, right? And that was the greatest depression since the Great Depression that we know of in the early 1900s. At one time, maybe you were infatuated with someone. Put your trust in someone. You thought you loved them, even in a biblical sense. You know, you just thought that they were going to change your life, right? whole bunch of hope. Unicorns, rainbows, fireworks, all that good stuff, you know? And so, thinking every day would be perfect. You'd wake up in the morning with your breath all minty fresh, hair looking good, face looking good. And then you quickly woke up one morning realizing that nobody on this planet could fill that void that was inside of you. You expected them to fill that void, though, creating unrealistic expectations, yielding frustrations, and enabling problems to flourish. But you put something, your hope in something that can never fully deliver hope. So this all ultimately reveals the big problem, that we place our hope in the wrong things. Your government won't satisfy you. Your spouse won't fully satisfy you. Your job won't. Your success won't. Money won't. Your insurance policy won't. Only Christ can. Those things will ultimately leave you void. But in spite of these things, if you're a believer here in Christ tonight, your salvation is guaranteed and you cannot lose it. Okay, so I have friends who pick at me because, going back to basketball, sorry, I like basketball. But every time I talk about a basketball player, an NBA team, you know, and someone says, oh, this person's so good, I always talk about, like, their wingspan. People pick on me because I'm, I'm, like, obsessed with wingspans, apparently. And the reason that is, is uh, I think it's obvious. Longer wingspan, longer levers. For these guys who are 6'8", it's effortless for them to shoot. You got longer arms, so bigger moves. You can get past somebody easier. Better defense, all that stuff, right? So the reason I'm sharing that with you is I'm going to give an illustration, and my wingspan just won't do it justice. I've got a short wingspan, so that's okay. So just uh, follow along with me here. So here's eternity. Right here, this little inch is your life. Start to finish. And this is eternity, and then all the way out there. Why are we so stinking focused on this one little inch? Right? We put all of our energy, all of our resources, I'm guilty of it too, um, into this one inch when we could be preparing for eternity, when we could be impacting people um, through Jesus Christ. 
You see, no rational person would be doing that, right, if we really consistently believe what the Word says, believe what Christ said. But we do it, don't we? We do it. And so Peter would be saying that the reason why you don't have hope is because your hope is in your circumstances rather than Christ. So Peter moves on to the next idea for believers to have hope through suffering. Peter refers to suffering over 15 times in this letter, and we see this beginning in verse 6. So follow along with me in verse 6, please. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Salvation gives hope, but it does not eliminate suffering. We can agree with that. He says you've been grieved for a little while. In the midst of suffering, I don't know about you, but it does not feel like a little while, right? My, you know, woe is me, but my recent bout of suffering was, uh, was at TPA. And though it only lasted, let's say, 10 to 12 weeks, it felt like, like my whole time of schooling. Like, but, I mean, that's what it is. When we're suffering, it just feels like it lasts forever. And the term used as grieved here can also be um, translated distressed, pressed, or discouraged. It was the same term um, speaking when Christ was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane before he went to his death for your and my sin as a substitutionary sacrifice. And it says that we will be grieved with various trials. So for someone who practices law, or you know someone who practices law, Typically, uh, trials have trial dates. You know when they're coming. So if you know you have an ugly trial, you can anticipate it, you can prepare for it, no matter how ugly it is, you at least somewhat feel like you're in control. But what Peter is saying here is that we're going to run into various trials and we are not going to be in control. So I'm sure everyone here can relate that sometimes you're experiencing a major trial are facing circumstances, and a lot of things, other things just seem to pop up, right? Seemed to happen to me when I was going through my TPA, like other stuff was just popping up, you know? But uh, so when I think of that, I used to go to Chuck E. Cheese a lot as a kid, right? Favorite game, I would still play it over and over right now, still a big kid, was Whack-A-Mole, right? So when I think of the various trials in our lives, I think of the game Whack-A-Mole, right? Boom, I hit this one, hit this one, hit this one, three pop up, boom, 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 and... The sad thing about life is just they're just going to keep popping up, right? Three pop up at the same time. And I've definitely spoken with friends recently even here that it just seems like those moles just keep popping up, keep popping up in their lives. So we got this whack-a-mole life. I've got it all wired up and I'm, I got it all under control. But God doesn't want you thinking that you've got it all under control. He wants you to know that he's got it all under control. Various trials show us that we are indeed not in control. And it causes us to be more dependent upon him. We're all praying people here. We pray, we give thanks for our food. But when we're suffering, I mean, we're really praying, right? That's a totally different type of prayer, right? But our brother James said, book of James, to count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Trials are like going through life, like you're running down a dark road, no, no, uh, no lights, and uh, running straight down the road, and somebody just removed the manhole cover, 
right? You just fall down unexpectedly into what we all know is in a sewer. Um, so a bunch of mess. And that's what these trials are for us in life sometimes. That's what life is on this side of eternity. It's a mess. And being a Christian does not shelter you from that. You cannot experience eternity on this side of heaven. But if you put your faith in Christ, you can experience eternity with God in heaven. Just not yet. So, if you're a Christian here tonight, praise God. But tomorrow you're going to wake up with a bedhead. Still going to have to brush your teeth. you have to face problems at school, at work, maybe with your family. It's just going to happen. So saving faith is revealed by faith in Christ during our sufferings. So follow along with me in verse 7, please. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. Hmm. Tested by fire. How do we know our faith is real if we're not tested? Right? Real faith is revealed by how we respond to the struggles that we're faced within this life. The suffering, the tests, and the trials that we go through. In Mark 4, we see the parable of the sower. Uh, Jesus speaks of the sower throwing seeds onto different types of soil. Right? The good soil uh, ended up, well, the seed being the Word of God. Good soil received the Word of God and therefore was rooted and produced fruit. A hard heart would not let God in. Right? We see the uh, hard soil, and so that seed never rooted. Then there was a problem. There was a heart that was full of rocks. And that gospel message, the seed of the gospel, couldn't get a deep root. As soon as there was any experience with suffering or hardship, they fled from God instead of submitting under God's authority, and therefore they didn't produce fruit. And we can relate to that today. I don't want to diminish anybody struggling. Struggling is painful. And uh, we as Christians are called to suffer together. Um, We're called to bear each other's burdens. We're called to encourage one another, lift each other up through those uh, trials and those circumstances. But oftentimes, uh, it's understandable, you know, when, uh, when people are really going through some trials to say things like, God, don't you understand? I need a job. Don't you see... My loved one is, is struggling with cancer. You know, don't you see that this is going on in my life? Don't you see that this person is struggling? This person is struggling. Don't you see what's going on this end uh, of the world? Right? If you were a sovereign God, you could heal this person. You could help me. And if you love me, you would do that. How could you allow this to happen to me? How could you take my child at such a young age? It is reasonable for those who are suffering to question God. And I don't believe that God is angry with us when we question Him. He wants us to understand that our Christian faith is reasoned, it's reasonable, and it's rational. So He would say, If you question my love for you, I want you to look to the cross. I gave my only Son for you. What more could I do to prove that I love you? And if I have given my Son to you, then you know that I am good. And if you know that I am good, then you know that you can trust me. Because I am God, I can see beginning from the end. You don't see it all. So therefore, you can trust me. And real faith, right, tested through trials, produced through trials, brings glory to God and rewards us, the believers. 
So verse 7, Then gold that perishes, though it is tested, tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Second part of verse 7. When Christ returns, He'll be glorified by our faith. That faith is distinct and totally different from anything you'll see around us. And He will reward that. He will be honored. He will be honored by that. And it brings glory to Him. So the real faith is produced. It produces a deeper love for Christ and salvation. So verses 8 and 9, follow along with me. Peter says in verse 8, Whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Peter says in verse 8, you haven't seen Christ, but you live in expectation of seeing him. We live in expectation of seeing him. We expect his return, and even though you haven't seen him, you love him. In John 20, verses 24 through 29, we see uh, after the resurrection, we see Jesus comes to meet with the disciples, right? They're all barricaded in, you know, hiding out. So I think Jesus just kind of appears to them, right? Thomas wasn't there at this time, right? So, you know, uh, go forward a little bit. Thomas comes back. The disciples are all like, yo, like, we, we saw Jesus. We saw Jesus. He's alive. He's alive. And Thomas is totally in disbelief. He's like, I'm not going to believe that until I can physically touch the wound on his side. Right? So eight days later, when all the disciples are there, Thomas included, Jesus comes back. Thomas touches his side. Jesus even allows him to touch the wounds on his hand. And Thomas believes. In verse 29, Jesus says to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. They will be the ones who are really happy. That's us. Because even though they haven't seen, they believe. And this produces love because we have responded to God's love towards us. And that produces joy that's inexpressible. There are some people who always carry joy. They just walk into a room like they just... You know, cup is never half empty, it's always half full, but not all of us are like that. But our circumstances do tend to greatly influence our emotions, which is no different than the world around us. But the one who truly puts their hope in Christ, when I'm really putting my hope in Christ, the very real difficult circumstances that I face in life seem minimal. And, and that hope that I find in Christ transcends those circumstances. You know, I, I look to grow closer to the Lord and to make that more consistent. But when we're truly seeking, when we truly have our eyes on Christ, right, just as Peter was walking on water with his eyes on Christ until he started looking at the storm around him, right, he was still afloat, right? And I could definitely relate to that in my life, but... I think we're all stubborn to a certain extent, or at least I am. So he's still working on me. So anyways. so you may be sitting here tonight, and you might say, I'm not suffering right now. This message doesn't apply um, to me. So I just want to encourage you that you'll get your turn. 
okay? So, may not have to deal with it today, but the problem is that all of us will deal with suffering. It's part of the Christian experience. God uses it to refine us because it proves the genuineness of our faith and it produces the greatest benefit of all, assurance that we are indeed saved, that we uh, do put our faith in Christ. So, receiving the end of your faith, as we see in verse 9, the salvation of your souls, uh, genuine faith, trusting in Christ through difficult circumstances, um, serves as self-assurance that, that we are born again and that we are following Christ regardless of our circumstances. We're born of the Spirit, that we belong to God, and that we are citizens not of this earth but of heaven, and that we are just passing through looking to uh, spend eternity with Jesus. That's you today. That is the greatest gift that you could ever possibly receive. So Christians who put their hope in Christ, living hope, mind you, we do suffer, and there's a purpose in that suffering, and that's so that we can further find our hope in Christ. And finally, believers' hope is foretold in the Old Testament, and the Old Testament predicted that, and so Peter is declaring here in verses 10 through 12. I'll read this. Follow along with me. Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that, not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven things which angels desire to look into. So, verse 10 uh, declares that salvation by grace through faith is something that was foretold by the prophets. We can see that. You can see that tonight. You can discover that through the Old Testament. And uh, I'm blessed by this church that we go through uh, the Bible verse by verse. And, um, you know, that, that was awesome. You know, as soon as I became a believer, I'm learning so much in just how... Uh, this was already predicted. This was already foretold. This isn't some fictitious uh, thing that I believe in, right? And then the evidence in my own life and the lives around me, our personal testimonies, my personal testimony, seeing that though he's still working on me, um, the Lord has definitely uh, transformed and he's definitely given me a living hope. So it's pretty, pretty awesome. So see that suffering uh, precedes glory. Uh, the Suffering Messiah was predicted in Isaiah 53, there at Mount Calvary, Jesus suffered. But also the glory Messiah at Mount Moriah in Jerusalem, Mount of Olives, Christ would also glory. And we are told this in Zechariah 14. So suffering precedes glory. This is how it has to be. And so you've experienced suffering in this life to learn dependency on our God. That suffering drives us towards Christ, and that is the greater good. Suffering always precedes glory, and so it will. The Apostle Paul addressed this topic multiple times. In Romans 8, 18, he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18, Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. 
For our light affliction, which is but for a little moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Right? For eternity. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are just temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Our trials and sufferings are temporal and short-lived in comparison to eternity. we cover that, right? So understand this with me. I also, next to basketball, I love dogs, right? So, um, let's see. Uh, think of like a Yorkie. Everybody knows what a Yorkie is. Maybe a Maltese. Everybody knows what a Chihuahua is, right? I want you to picture a flea on one of those little dogs, right? You got me? All right. So now picture that same flea on a pit bull, a yellow lab, golden retriever, stepping up a notch. All right. Now picture that flea on a Great Dane. Anybody ever seen a Great Dane? Okay, cool. So here's the thing. Paul tells us that the sufferings we experience in this life fail to the comparison of the glories you and I will experience in heaven. Your sufferings right now might seem like the Grand Canyon. But from the perspective of eternity, it's less than a flea. So yes, the suffering... There's suffering, and there's absolutely compassion here for that suffering. But we as Christians are called to lean on one another, experience that suffering together. From an eternal perspective, you see how suffering really is. Just an agent to bring you and I closer to Christ. And at verse 12, we are told for this in the age until Christ comes. He goes on to declare that this is something that angels are are yearning to look into. Like, Why? Angels don't get to experience redemption. We get to experience being redeemed by the blood of Christ, being born again, being transformed, right? And getting closer to Christ, right? As we're in His Word, as we're fellowshipping. Angels don't get to experience that. That's why they're eager to look into these things. As Pastor Joe always mentions, you know, every time a sinner comes to salvation, angels are up there, they're having a party, you know? They're loving it. You know, this is something that even the angels look into. So I want to encourage you to consider with me for a moment. Every single person here, yeah, has, has asked Christ uh, to come into their lives and has put their faith in Him as Lord and Savior. You have this living hope available to you. It's available to everyone here and anyone who would surrender their life to Christ. Problem is... And instead of putting our hope in Christ, first and foremost, the tendency is, even for Christians, even for uh, mature Christians, is to put their hope in something else, someone else, somewhere else. But I want to ask you, as, as I definitely uh, asked myself, uh, just preparing this message, like, what's my hope in? Right? What's your hope in? My hope in my education, which is almost finished. Is it a hope in a potential job? Potential success, right? Coaching, who knows, right? What, what, what is your hope in? You know, is my hope in my, uh, myself, what I'm going to achieve? Well, I'm better than this person, I'm stronger than this person, I'm smarter than this person, whatever the case may be. What is your hope in? Like, really, what is your hope in? Right? Ponder that for a second. So we covered the alternatives, right? Lots and lots of alternatives. That list could have gone on forever, so you know what it is. 
But until you and I firmly set our hope on the assurance of the eternity that we'll spend with Christ, your hope in Christ, something that will never waver or never fade away, as we're told in First Peter, your life will be like a pendulum. Everybody knows what a pendulum is? I had someone ask me if I knew what a pendulum was, because I'm young, I guess, I don't know. Like, I've never seen a pendulum, but it swings, right? At your high point, you got your low point, right? Until you fully put your faith in Christ and recognize Him as your only true hope, life is going to be like a pendulum. You're going to have your high moments, right? Praise God, nothing can go wrong. You're going to have your low moments, right? Um, and, and until we put our faith truly in Christ and, and recognize where our hope resides, I mean, that's, that pendulum is just going to keep swinging. Right? Some days are great. Some days you might feel like you want to end it all, right? So, what do you say? Anchor your life in the sure foundation right, of Christ because life is going to deal you a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff that hurts, a lot of stuff that stinks. It's the reality we live in, and you will not be ever prepared for it. But there is only one truth that is going to consent, uh, transcend all of that, and you can truly put your hope and faith in, and that's Jesus Christ. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening and may God bless you.